This evening we're going to read from the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, please do turn it open with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 this evening. And we're going to read the first seven verses. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And on the Pew Bible you'll find it on page 1195. That's page 1195 if you're going to read along from a Pew Bible this evening. This is God's word to us. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable others, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, He does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us, and Nigel will bring uh, and preach on it a little bit later for us. One of the things that some of the folks said as we were interviewing them and Peter was praying about earlier on was the role that we believe the Bible has within our lives. We believe it speaks to us, and that's how God speaks to us uh, particularly. And we're going to take just a moment or two to look at that tonight. We, we might want to, uh, we might suggest you might want to turn up the passage that John read for us earlier on, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's page 1194 if you've got one of the Pew Bibles. And we're going to think about that just for a, a moment or two tonight. It's going to be shorter tonight than than it normally would. But I love hearing those vows that we, we make whenever we admit people to membership. These promises are incredibly important. The only other, well, one of the few other times that we hear vows made at the front of churches at a wedding, we know how important those vows are. And, and these vows are similar in that they talk about our, our intentions to be wholehearted, in this case, to be wholehearted in our following of Jesus personally in his church and in the world. And as we go forward in that task, and particularly for those who've joined the church tonight, but all of us who, who come tonight and we, we remember perhaps the time that we took similar promises if we're Christians, and uh, as we go forward in that task, I want to, to just remind ourselves or set before us a few pictures, images that, that capture something of the task that we've set out on. Not my images, they're Paul's images as he encourages Timothy to be the sort of leader that he ought to be within Christ's church. Now, these images sort of apply in the first instance to Timothy, who was a young Christian leader, but they apply to every believer as well, because in most cases, the qualities that are required of leaders within New Testament church are just the qualities that are asked for of every believer, but in a particular way, they are formed so that folk are suitable for leadership. And so so we can all benefit, I think, from looking at the sorts of things that Paul says to leaders. And as Paul looks for pictures and illustrations to direct Timothy about the sort of journey that he's on as a follower of Jesus, he reaches for the illustrations of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. 
Now, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking if, if, if some of us were to, not some of us perhaps, but some people today were to choose the sorts of images that they would like to, to sort of be as representative of their lives, they might choose something very, very different, you know? Uh, a rock star. Imagine being a rock star. You know, being a Christian, like stepping out onto a stage with people adoring you. Uh, but Paul doesn't go there, nor would he have. Or perhaps a spa visitor. There's a good image, eh? Uh, you know, you just, you go, you need a bit of pampering, a bit of time out. You just click your fingers. There's staff there to bring you cucumbers for your eyes. And, and, uh, and you think, God will pamper me. He'll just sort of see me through life like a, like a sort of a butler. But that's not the sort of image that, that Paul uses either. He, he goes in a much less glamorous direction, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Let's, let's think about those for a moment or two. A soldier, and as the, the particular thing here about the soldier is the soldier is focused, really, really focused. Uh, Paul had plenty of opportunities to see soldiers close up as he writes this letter. He is a, in prison. He's in prison to chapter 1, verse 8, tells us that. And uh, he may well have been actually chained to a soldier. He was, we know, on other occasions when he's in prison. And so he's, he's really familiar with soldiers and the sorts of lives that they lived. And he, he says in verse 3 of chapter 2, Endure hardship with us like a good sh- soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. It's a great illustration, isn't it? Soldiers drawn on, this idea of the battle drawn on in a number of places in the New Testament. And it underlines for us that as we step out to follow Jesus Christ, we, we enter a battle. We're, we're in a battle. We have an enemy who's out to steal and kill and destroy. And so we need to be vigilant. I read in one of the papers yesterday a, a review of a, a new book that's coming out on the battle for Normandy. We, we think about those incredible D-Day scenes as the Allied troops poured onto the uh, Normandy beaches and took those vital bridgeheads. But, but what followed was a, a, a very bloody few months as the Allied soldiers fought through the hedgerows of northern France. Incredible casualties at that time. Very, very slow. And, and one of the quotes from one of the soldiers was, that it was so hard to get used to the thought that in every hedgerow and at every window, there could be somebody looking to take my life. And so they were perpetually vigilant. It's part of what it means to be a soldier. And that's part of the image that Paul draws upon. But, but there's a couple of qualities that are particularly highlighted here. One of them is endurance, hardship. The endurance of the Roman soldiers were, were just legendary. I, I last summer walked Hadrian's Wall with, with Peter and Sam. Uh, we learned a little bit about Roman soldiers. I was carrying 15 kilograms. It felt like I was carrying about eight people. And, and uh, the most we walked in a day was 17 miles. Roman soldiers, we learned, carried 40 kilograms. And they marched 22 miles a day. And they never stopped training. And so Paul says, as he looks at these men endure hardship. So following Jesus is not for the faint-hearted. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. If you came to Christ and someone told you, come to Christ and all of your problems will be over, it will be an easy life, then you, you were sold a, a a bad deal. 
Paul is really clear. It's going to be tough. It's going to be like being a soldier. And there's another aspect to, to being a soldier that Paul goes on to highlight here, and it's what we might call focus. The soldier knows the job that they are to do, and that enables them to endure the hardship that they face. They're not going to get involved with civilian affairs, as Paul puts it here. He's devoted to one large cause. He follows one voice, his commanding officer. And Paul picks this up and he says, now, Timothy, you be, you be focused. Cultivate a character where you are focused on this great gospel task. Now, we're, 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 all of us, no matter what age we are, we are bombarded with messages from advertising and social media all the time that says to us, you've got to have this in your life. You've got to have that in your life. You've got to do that. You haven't lived if you haven't swum with dolphins and trekked up to base camp at Everest and started a charity and written a book. And there are so many things that we could do Actually, I couldn't do most of those things, but there are so many things that we could do. But, but Paul is saying, look, this is what we must do for Christians. This says to our, our generation, our generation which, which is being told, you can have it all, but we can't. We want to have everything. We want to have the best of this life and Jesus, but we must have Jesus. And whatever else we get is a bonus because we're following Jesus Christ and, and this one task of, of doing this well. Spurgeon said this to his church, great Baptist preacher from previous generation. He said, up I pray you now by him whose eyes are like a flame of fire and yet were wet with tears by him on whose head were many crowns and yet who wore the crown of thorns, by him who is king of kings and lord of lords, yet bowed his head to death for you, resolve that to life's latest breath you will be spent and spend for his praise. The Lord grant that there might be many such in this church, good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That's what Spurgeon said. Paul says, be a soldier. Give yourself to this focused outcome. <clears throat> then secondly, the athlete. Paul speaks about the athlete. Verse five, similarly, if anyone completes, competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now this is really saying the same sort of thing Similarly, you see it's introduced with that in verse five, but, but it's emphasizing perhaps the discipline of the athlete. The rules are a reference to the fact that if you're going to compete in, in the Olympiad in, in those days, then you had to complete a 10-month training period, and you had to swear an oath that you had done that. The, the, the training was part of your qualification. So those were the rules. There were no shortcuts. There were shortened, certain proven and required steps to athletic success. And the prize then was the victor's crown, the laurel wreath that was given to those who won. And it's just emphasizing, isn't it, that you've got to do some difficult things to get to the podium. You know how it is when you hear those interviews with the Olympic champions. I'm just devastated that the marathon was being moved to a Sunday. I was just ready to go this year. But... <coughs> too bad. But, but you know, you, you interview some of those people who've won the marathon and, and you say, well, what was your last year like? 
And you don't hear many people saying, well, I was playing video games and eating chips and, and so on. No, they were up at early. They were training and, 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 and so many hours in the evening and so many hours at the weekend and so on. There's a discipline and a foregoing of freedoms for this greater goal. And the Christian life is here compared to the life of the athlete because there are these disciplines, this effort, this blood and sweat and tears. Some of the vows that you've taken tonight remind us of that. You've said, I'm going to do what it takes to keep going as a Christian so that I won't drift. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to involve myself in fellowship. There was a phrase that was, was popular whenever I was growing up, uh, let go and let God. Now, at best, that was sort of saying there are times that we need to stop trying to control things and work everything out for ourselves, and we've got to trust the Lord. That, that's a very good thing to say. But what it sometimes meant was that people were saying, I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and see what God does for me. And there is that sort of idea that sometimes Christianity will demand no effort from us at all. Some of those who have gone before us knew better. J.C. Ryle, old bishop of Liverpool, he said this, I will never shrink from declaring my belief that there are no spiritual gains without pains. I should as soon expect a farmer to prosper in business who contented himself with sowing his fields and never looking at them till the harvest as expect a believer to attain much holiness who was not diligent about his Bible reading, his prayers, his use of Sundays. Our God is a God who works by means and he will never bless the soul of that man who pretends to be so high and spiritual that he can get on without them. There's energy and discipline required for the athlete and for the Christian. Third thing, third picture, is for the farmer, and, and this is endurance. Some of us have, have worked on farms and you know that, that farm work is, is difficult, it's seldom glamorous, it's often repetitive. And Paul says, verse six, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crop. So many illustrations about the Christian life are from agriculture or gardening because things are slow and weeds are, are fast and, and, and the threats to the crops are real and so on. And here, the work is hard, but it's saying that there's also reward. So some of us are able to read the paper from cover to cover every day and yet say, I've never read a Christian book. John Piper said that Facebook was invented to remind Christians that they could read their Bible after all because they had time to. Some of us know the player of every, of every name of every player in a football team and we've never memorized a single verse of Scripture. And Paul is saying to Timothy, it's going to be hard, it's going to take effort but that's the way to the harvest. Give yourself to it. That's what Paul did. 30 years ago, it was in uh, 89, I, I bought John Stott's little commentary on 2 Timothy. It was one of the first Christian books I read and, and still have it. It's all sorts, got all sorts of underlinings. And, and one of the passages I underlined was this. The blessing of God rested upon the ministry of the Apostle Paul in quite exceptional measure. No doubt many explanations of this could be given, but I find myself wondering if we attribute it sufficiently to the zeal and zest, the almost obsessional devotion with which he gave himself to the work. He gave and did not count the cost. He fought and did not heed the wounds. He toiled and did not seek to rest. 
He labored and asked for no reward except the joy of doing God's will, and God prospered his efforts. Again, it is the hardworking farmer who gets the good crop. Paul is saying to Timothy, there's a character to be cultivated as you endure, as you focus, as you work out your salvation. Now, is this just saying, look, work hard at this? It's not doing that. It's in that context that we need to explain. And just just a a word on this as we finish. Because he's not just saying, Timothy, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder. How important it is that we know that. Because verse 1 of chapter 2 begins like this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he's not just saying be strong. He, he, he's, he's saying we're strong in someone else, in the grace that is in Christ. Because we need grace in order to be saved. God comes to us and opens our eyes. We, we can't achieve it by ourselves. We're not going to say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and do better here. And I'm going to step my way up to heaven. That's, that's just not the gospel. We need grace in order to be saved, God to come to us, but we also need grace in order to serve. Because as we see that it is a God who loves us despite our performance, it just changes everything, doesn't it? Paul says in in chapter 1, verse 8, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. How important this is. We've heard from some of the folk who've been saying, do you know, Christianity is a a smaller group now within our culture. We we know that very much. But isn't our culture just crying out for justification? Just to have someone say to us, you're right. You've got approval. Our lives are defined by this search for, for someone to say to us, it's okay, you're okay. And what God offers us, the God of the universe, he says to us, you're not okay, but I'm going to make you okay. I'm going to treat you as okay, and you're going to be okay forever. That changes everything. And as we see that, that, that just melts our hearts and, and, and turns us around and points us to the Lord. And we say, do you know what, Lord? I, I, I want to be focused on you like a soldier. I, I, I want to persevere like an athlete. And I want to endure like a farmer so that there'll be a, a victory and a crown and a harvest. God bless us as we seek to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that the good news of the gospel is that we have been rescued, not by our own efforts, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. How transforming this is. And we pray that you will help us. Those who've joined the church tonight, those who've been on the Christian road for perhaps years, we pray, Lord, that you will help us to remember the great work that you have done, that we might give ourselves to this great purpose of following you. Lord, help us to see the glory of the gospel, that it's worth our every effort 
in every moment of our lives. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.